0: Lord, as we start this morning, I'm so thankful, Lord, that your presence is here with us, your strength, your admonition, your direction. I pray that you take the next few moments that we have together and that you would speak to all of us, Lord, those things that we need to hear. We ask this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. A number of years ago, probably about 20, I and my wife, we bought ourselves a honey motor home, an old honey motor home. So imagine 20 years ago buying it, and it was old then. And uh, we decided to take our family on a trip out west, and we went out through Yellowstone and through Colorado and... We just made a a beautiful time, and oftentimes when we would stop with that motorhome, it was like your home was wherever you turned the key off. And we would comment because we had a large window on either side of the living area in the motorhome about the view outside of our window. And we'd say, What a beautiful view of the mountains through our window! Just think we're gonna have lunch, kids. And look at the beauty that we see all around us. But the scene from outside that window would change as we travel. So the view from that window was different. Sometimes it was a truck stop. Sometimes it was a city. And in our lives, every one of us has a window of perception that we have. And that view changes daily. Moment by moment, one day you'll look at this and you'll say, what a beautiful day. This is the day that you've made. And another day there'll be challenges. But the view constantly changes. But God, who created the world, never does. And um, my dad grew up in a little town called Steuben. And I bet you there's not a person in here that knows where Steuben is in western Wisconsin. It's not far from Boscobel. Well, we know one person that knows, I'm going to say, well, what was Boscobel? Well, it's not far from Paredes <clears throat> And our family would travel out there quite a bit because uh, my dad grew up in and He had the old homestead was still there, and we would go out there and spend time in the old stomping grounds. I remember traveling, me and my brother and, and my sister and my dad and mom, we're driving our car to Steuben, and we were watching this car in front of us. It was driving normally, and all of a sudden, it was erratic. It went to the left, to the right, on the road, off the road, and finally, in, in the Steuben area, it's very hilly, very, very hilly, and it went off the road and went down an embankment. Well, of course, my dad pulled over, and we could, we could see the Lady that was in the car down the embankment, and she was like this. And uh, my dad ran down to see if she was all right. And why she'd run off the road is a bee had flown into her car. Now, I want to tell you that bee, that bee was probably as afraid as she was.
1: But the bee was on the windshield, and she focused on the bee and not the view from the window.
0: And that beach distracted her from the beauty that was around her and caused her to almost lose her life because of her change in focus. Now, I want to, I'll probably mention this several times this morning. We always have to maintain our focus regardless of what's happening or obstructing the view in our window. We've always got to keep our eyes on God, even in the days that are tough, because God doesn't change. He he was there on the sunny day, and he's there on the cloudy day. And he's always there to watch over us. I want to lose my life over one insect, over one small thing that comes into my life. I don't want to lose my focus and run off the road
1: of life I want to talk to you about a guy named John. He was also called John
0: the Baptist or John the Baptizer. If you remember, Mary, about years ago, about 2,000 years ago, went to see her cousin Elizabeth when she was pregnant. Well, it was her aunt Elizabeth, not cousin. Elizabeth was pregnant with John. Which was going to be the forerunner of Jesus in his ministry. So, technically, John, if I'm on the right page, was Jesus' half cousin. Of course, Jesus was a half son of, of, uh, of Mary, of Joseph, the other Joseph. So they were related. And I've oftentimes, I have this great imagination, and I would oftentimes think, I wonder if they ever played together. I wonder if John and Jesus got together on Thanksgiving. Well, they didn't have a Thanksgiving. Or they got together on on Purim or on on some of the holidays. And I, I like to think that before Jesus began his ministry, that John and Jesus already had a relationship. Now, John, if you read in the Gospels, he was devout. He was committed. He was bold in the very short time of his ministry. That time he turned the nation of Israel upside down with his message of preparation. A message of repentance for the arrival of the son of God to start his ministry. Now there was no doubt that day when Jesus came down to the waters where John was baptizing, that he was the Son of God in John's eyes. Because I'm reading from John 1, verse 26. Now, this is the ESV version. John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you one stands one you do not know, even who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to unite. Now, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Now, remember, John was older than Jesus. But he was before him. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. Now I I want to point out some very strange things that seem to happen later in John's ministry. Up to this point, he was direct, he was powerful, he was bold. He lived in the wilderness. He wore a camel's robe, he ate locusts and wild honey. He lived by the land. He was not living in a king's palace or in luxury. And like I said earlier, he turned that world upside down. Now Herod Antipas, who was ruling at that time, had married his brother's wife, and her name was Herodias. I hope I said that right. And John started to preach against that act of adultery. Now, Herod Antipas arrested John and cast him into jail. And that's where I want to start reading from Matthew 11. And when John had heard in prison, he's in prison, the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, I, I stopped there and I'm so puzzled because he knew he was the announcer. He was, he was the heralder of the ministry of Christ. If there was anyone in the world that should not have any doubt, Concerning the identity of Christ, it would certainly have been John. But I want to tell you, the window in his life had changed. His view had changed. He was now looking out the window of a jail cell. He was looking in an environment he'd never dwelt in before. He'd never been in prison. He was a man of the fields. And he smelled the stench and the confinement and outside the door was the execution block. So because of his circumstances and because of what he saw, he began to doubt because he never thought that when he became involved in this, this prophecy of Isaiah to be the herald of the
1: Messiah who had been sought for for thousands of years, that this would be part of his role. And he sends
0: a few of his disciples and sends them to Christ and says, are you the one, or did I make a mistake? Is there someone coming after you? This isn't, this isn't what I planned for. On. This isn't what I thought it would be. And Jesus answered and said to, him, to them,
1: verse 4, go and tell John the things which you hear and see, the blind see, and the lame walk, The lepers are cleansed,
0: and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I I have this great imagination. What could have John been feeling as he he sat confined in chains? God. God. And you know what? I'm talking to the choir here because you've thought the same thing. You've gone through a trial in your life, and you're saying, God, what is, what's wrong? This isn't what I signed up for. You're the God of all power and majesty. You're sovereign. You're omnipotent. You're everywhere. And certainly, you see, the circumstance I am in, why will you not fight for me? Why won't you open the jail cell? Why don't you let me walk free? He couldn't understand, so he began to doubt his calling and his true, the true identity of Christ. Now, how do you conquer that
1: in your life? When these things happen to you, how do you conquer it? And it says in verse 7, of that same
0: chapter, and as they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, what did you go on into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind did, but what did you go on to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. And what did you go on to see, a prophet? Yes, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And then Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. As I read these scriptures, all of a sudden I get a revelation. If the man that is is greater than any man that's been born of women up to the time of Christ, is having a problem in identity through his suffering. And Jesus still holds him up, even when he's struggling and saying, let me tell you, even though he's doubting right now, even though he sent his messengers, wondering if I'm the man, don't you think for a minute that he's any less than
1: what he was when he started? Oftentimes in your life and in my life, the view changes around us, the view from our window. Everything changes. The joy we had is fleeting.
0: Our sleep is sparse. Our heart is troubled. We suffer loss. All these things happen in our life, and we begin to wonder like John and saying, did I, I make a wrong decision?
1: Was my perception completely right? But I want to tell you there is a way
0: to get around that, that bombardment of doubt that comes into your life over that stench of suffering that comes from that depraved space of tribulation in your life.
1: You've got to focus on what's true. Because everything around us is temporal.
0: This body's temporal. Your body's temporal. The things that you're sitting on will one day be dust again. Everything is changing, everything is in movement, molecular movement. Nothing's solid. But there is one thing that does not change, does not move, and is always the same. Every single day, regardless of what you see, regardless of what you feel, whatever happens to you physically, this always stays the same. You must focus on truth. You must focus on the
1: word because that will not change. I, I read from Isaiah. Isaiah was almost... Maybe he saw John
0: when he wrote this scripture. Isaiah 35, 4,
1: verse 6 to verse 6. Say to those with anxious hearts Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your
0: God will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue will shout for joy. Now, those scriptures were available through the writing of Isaiah. And no doubt, uh, Zacharias, the father of John, no doubt taught his son, and he probably learned it in Yeshiva, all about the law of the prophets. He probably was very familiar with this scripture. So, what did Jesus give him to hold on to as he's facing his impending death? Because it wasn't long after this that Jesus was, or John was beheaded by Herod. So, what did Jesus give to John, his cousin, before he died to help him hold on to the end? Truth. The truth of Revelation. The truth of God's word. Friend, you can have friends and they can let you down. You can have a job and you can get fired. You can have health and you can get sick. You can have a bank account and have it trained overnight. But the one thing that will never ever be stolen from you or you will not lose is your salvation if you trust in his word. God is true. I lean on him. I don't lean on people. People will let you down. You know when, I think Pastor Calhoun talked about this last week, when David was going through a trial, or it was a week before maybe. What did David do when his friends wanted to hang him or to stone him because of all the loss that came through Ziklag? He encouraged himself in the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Brother Kylie, what is encouraging yourself in the Lord? That means you preached to yourself the word. Now, I might be old, but I had children once that were small. And when I see your kids here, I think about my own children when they were growing up. And I remember that my children had a book, and in that book, it was written about the little train that could. Remember that little train that could? Now, you might think I'm crazy, and I don't care. When you're over 65, you enter the IDC club. I don't care. I don't care. But it was the little train that could. I think I can. He's going up the hill. The little train's going up. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And then he goes over the top. I knew I could. I knew I could. I knew I could. I knew I could. Well, when I go through trials, you know what I do? I take the scripture. I know I can do all things through Christ Jesus which strengthen me. I know I can do all things through Christ Jesus which strengthen me. I can do all things with Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ. And I become a preacher to myself. Now, the Lord knew in the latter times it was going to be a tough time to live. Matter of fact, he said that before he comes, there's going to be a great falling away. In, not just in, in the church. Many would be offended in Matthew 24 and they'd leave and, and they'd walk away from Christ just like they did in his own ministry, his followers. What did he say, the disciples say that we should do in that time? Gather yourselves all the more together as you see the day approaching. You know why? Because we need a Pastor. We need to hear the preached word. We need to have fellowship and testimony. We need to hold each other's hands up. We need to pray with each other. And so there's the window, view from your window is going to change. I'll guarantee it. Tomorrow will be different and the next day it will be different. But don't take your eyes off what's important. Keep your
1: eyes on the highway called holiness. Well, let's go ahead a little bit more.
2: I
0: want to talk to you about another guy. This guy's awesome. I, I really like him because he, he was one of several righteous kings in Judah. Um, and you know who I'm talking about, Hezekiah. You know what the Bible says about him? His life is summarized this way. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. That's 2 Kings 18.5. He was the 13th king in Judah. He did everything to stop idol-worshiping in his kingdom. He strictly mandated the worship of the one true God. He prohibited the worship of any other figures that People thought were divine. So he's one of the very few that's righteous. He's doing everything that God's wanting him to do, and the Lord's acknowledging he is everything that he, he is. But something happens. In 740 AD, there was the Assyrian conquest of the Northern Kingdom. At this time it was the Southern Kingdom and the Northern Kingdom. Judah was governed over by Hezekiah, and there was another king over Israel. In 740 BC, an Assyrian king called Pul came down, and he captured the northern part of Israel. And he took them captive and sent back people to tend the land of those that were taken from Assyria. Now, 20 years after that, in 722 BC,
1: the capital city of Samaria is overtaken by the Assyrians. And this, I'm going to try to say this guy's name, but I'm going to butcher it. It's Shalman Eser.
0: And he required at first, before he took Samaria over, that they give him tribute. In other words, he was taxing them. I want you to pay me tribute Otherwise, I will take your kingdom, all of it. Well, they stopped paying that tribute. They refused to pay. And after three years, their kingdom of Samaria went into captivity. Now, we go back again and look at some of the scriptures that were written during this time. Nahum the prophet and Nahum 2 and 1 says this, and I I think when Nahum wrote this, he might have been speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. Your enemy is coming to crush you, Nineveh. Man the ramparts, watch the roads, prepare your defenses,
1: call your forces. In other words, Israel's fallen. Samaria's fallen. They were
0: in idol worship. God allowed Assyria to judge them. But now they're thinking about coming down to the southern kingdom. Nahum also says in Nahum 1 and 7, a verse that we all know. We quote, the Lord is good. He's a stronghold in the day of distress. He doesn't say that he's going to take away distress. He's not going to take away your problem, but he's going to be a stronghold for you in the problem. He cares for those who trust in him. That's why the scripture says, trust in him with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding or what you see around out your window. Acknowledge him in all your ways, every decision, everything you do. Make sure you acknowledge his word in all your ways. And if you'll do that, he'll direct your paths
1: through the valley of death, if need be. About 710 B.C., BC, that's 20
0: years after Samaria fell. Now remember, 742, Israel. 722, Samaria. Now the king of Assyria marches toward the southern kingdom into Judah. He follows the same game plan that he did in the other two uh, assaults. He required a ransom from Jerusalem. Sennacherib, wanted the southern kingdom to pay tribute. Now, I, I'm reading this for your admonition. This whole thing is about admonishing you to understand that you're no different than any one of the other people in the Old Testament or New Testament. You have the same flesh, the same blood, the same thoughts, the same struggles, but you do have one gift that they didn't. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit That doesn't just move on you, but it moves through you and in you and abides in you. So Hezekiah looks through the window of the past and he sees how Israel fought against them, Assyria, and failed, how Samaria tried to do it and they failed. And now, 20 years later, they're knocking on his door and he's fearful of failure. The one thing that Hezekiah has going in his favor that Israel and Samaria did not have was that he was in obedience. He lived
1: under the wings of the Almighty. That's the difference. But he was looking at the window. In 2 Kings 18, 14 through 16, and Hezekiah, king of
0: Judah, sent to the king of Assyria, Latius saying, I have offended, return from me. That which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house. At that time did Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Now, what does gold represent in in the tabernacle? Holiness, the sovereignty, the purity of God. The devil wanted your purity. He wanted to remove the sovereignty of God in your life. The devil wants to do that to you. And if you'll back off, maybe I'll let the pressure off of you a little bit. In other words, if you don't serve God quite as hard, and if you'll pay me
1: tribute by giving me your consecration, I'll, I, I'll hold off. I won't take you prisoner.
0: Hezekiah is still looking out the window of the past. So he gives him everything. You know how many, how much, how many pounds a talent is? 75 pounds is a talent. So I did this because there's some mathematicians here and some engineers that really like the details. So 30 pounds of gold or talents of gold would be 2,250 pounds of gold. That's over a ton of gold. 300 talents of silver was twenty two thousand five hundred pounds
1: of silver. That's eleven tons of silver. Now I I read this in a
0: commentary. They tried to put a value on that in our time, the price. I think they're off to be honest, but I'll use their number. One million four hundred and forty eight thousand five hundred and fifty dollars. This was a compromise. It was a last-ditch effort to save the city of God. Let me tell you something. You don't need to compromise to save the city of God. If you're living holy and you're living under the umbrella of Christ, you don't need to give away anything. You don't have to give Satan any of the good things that God has put in his house. This wasn't enough for Reb Shekha. He comes outside the walls of the Jerusalem and he starts to yell to the people on the wall. And the king Assyria sent Tartan and Ravseres and Rebsheka Rav from Latius to king Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they came up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is the highway of the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, 2 Kings 18... There came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, which was over the household, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder. Now notice what Rebshekah says, not only to these representatives of Hezekiah, but to the people that are listening on the wall. And Rebshekah said unto them, speaking now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this wherein you trust? Hang in here. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be short today. I'm going to try to cut this off. Not like the last time that I went a little too long. But this is important stuff. This is how the devil's going to assault you. What confidence is it
1: that you guys have? Trusting in the Lord. Has he ever said that to you? What do you have to show any true value in your confidence with God? And notice how he attacks Hezekiah, thou
0: sayest, but they are vain, but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now, in whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Who do you think you're trusting in? He'll try to get you to question God's ability, or God's concern, or God's existence to deliver you from your situation. Really, he hasn't changed much. The devil still uses the same
1: tactics. Possibly God isn't able. Maybe he's not concerned about you. Maybe he's not concerned enough about you.
0: Maybe you've done something in your life that's holding him back from operating in your life and delivering for you from your situation. Maybe it's you. This tactic of Satan is designed to destroy your faith and trust. When unbelief, enters into your heart it closes the
1: mind your mind to the refuge of Christ unbelief is your enemy he
0: that is baptized he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved in other words believing is is the vehicle for everything then in second kings 18 verse 22 but if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars, Hezekiah, has taken away and has said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Now he does the same thing he did in Eve, to Adam and Eve in the beginning. You know, I don't know if you can trust Hezekiah. You know, he, he tore all those altars down out there, and now he says... Everybody's got to worship in Jerusalem, which was God, what God said. But that isn't exactly what Hezekiah did. He tore down the altars of Baal. He didn't tear down God's altars. So he takes a little bit of truth and mixes it with a lot of a lie. And he does that to people in the church world. He'll give you
1: a little bit of truth, and then he'll throw in a lot of a lot of lie. And then he says in 2 Kings 18, verse 25,
0: am I now up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Ah, another tactic. God wants you to suffer. Matter of fact, that illness that you've got, those things that you're suffering, God wants you to suffer those things. He sent them to you. That is a lie. God tempteth no man. That's what the word says. You'll have trials, but God doesn't make you suffer. God never sent those things into Job's life. They were sent by Satan. God allowed them to enter in to help Job grow and to proclaim his greatness to the world,
1: but he didn't cause those things. If the devil can convince you that God is not on your side and rob
0: you of your faith in his deliverance, you might as well just quit. You might as well go home because he's won the battle. And then in verse 26, it says, Then Eliakim, the son of Pekiah, and Shebna, and Joah, unto Reb speak, I pray thee, to thy servants in the Syrian language. For we understand it, and talk not with us in the Jews' language in the ears of the people that are on the wall. You know, pastors pray that. Lord, let me deal with this problem and not the church. Lord, let me battle it and not the sheep, not the lambs. But Satan wants wants to enter into the church. He wants to talk to young, to old, to weak, to strong. He says, and notice what he goes on to say. But Rabbi said unto him, he said, don't speak to them. He says, but Rabbi said unto them, Hath my master sent me to thy master and to those that speak these words? Hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall, they that, that they may eat their dung and drink their own urine with you? Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you. Out of his hand. He'll try to bring fear into the church. He'll try to get the church not to believe what the pastor's saying. He'll try to say that you can't trust your pastor. He may, what he's saying isn't necessarily true. I'm telling you these things this morning because we need to stand on truth. We need to know, we need to know the
1: devices of the enemy. And then he says this, Hearken unto, not unto Hezekiah, for
0: thus saith the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one of the waters of his cistern. You know what? If you turn your heart from God, if you walk out of church, and walk away from your pastor, just come on out. I'll give you, I'll give you what you're missing. I'll give you vineyards. I'll give you fresh water, and you won't have the responsibility of following a pastor
1: who's preaching the truth. You know, one of the things that I, I've learned in my ministry. I went into
0: hospital chaplaincy in two thousand four, and in our they would always in admission they would write down what people's spiritual relation or association was, whether they were Lutheran, Baptist, if they had a church, what was the church name? Now, I've been in this ministry now for 18 years. When I go to work now and I look at identity of people that have come, I see none. A lot of people come into the hospital with no spiritual identity, no church even if it is a, a Lutheran or a Baptist church or whatever, there's no church at all. Because they have fallen to the deception of the enemy that you don't need a body to, a, the body of Christ. You don't need a church. You don't need a pastor. You can see all the things that you want from nature. Nature will teach
1: you. That is a lie from Satan. I'm going to skip down a little bit. Hezekiah starts to wake up a little bit, and he says this.
0: Verse 3 of 2 Kings 19. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This is the day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Ezekiah, Whom the king of Assyria, his master, has sent to reproach the living God. And he will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. I'm finding something that should have happened in the beginning is happening at at the end. It never sent that Hezekiah, even though he was a spiritual and godly man, he never went to God with the situation first. He tried to solve it himself because even if you're a man of God, even though you've lived for God for years, sometimes that can be a bad thing because you've acquired knowledge and experience, and you don't think you need prayer. And so all of a sudden, you're making judgment calls based upon your own resources. That's not good. That's never good, no matter how long you live. You've always got to go back to the blueprint. You've got to go back to the source.
1: Isaiah in Isaiah 66, 8 and 9 says this. Now, Isaiah is a contemporary. Who hath heard such a thing? Who
0: hath seen such things? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a, mission, a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. He takes the prayer of Isaiah, Hezekiah, and he goes on with it and says, When Zion prevails, in other words, when you intercede, when you pray, and you start to seek God's face, God will deliver you, and you'll have a birth, a renewal, a revival, and deliverance. But it's going to have to take travail. It's going to have you to you for you to say, "I don't have enough wisdom or knowledge myself. I need your
1: word, Lord. I need to hear the anointed word. I need to hear the prophecies of the book Shall I bring to birth and not cause to bring forth, saith the Lord? Shall I cause
0: to bring forth and shut the womb, saith thy God? We've got a lot of babies coming.
1: He's not shut the womb. We're not past the age of childbearing. This church is young. I'm going to stop there. 2 Timothy says this.
0: Therefore, I remind you to keep ablaze the gift of God that is in you. Through the laying on of my hands, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. That word in the Greek can also be translated timidity, timidness. God never gave you a spirit of timidness. You've got to come boldly before the throne of his grace. Don't be timid. Fight the good fight. Be aggressive. He's never given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, love. And sound judgment. Now, the King James Version says a sound mind. But this version um, mentions sound judgment, and I like that translation. In other words, he gives you the ability to make good decisions. We're in a war for our hearts. We're in a war for our minds. Satan's conquering the world. Nations are falling. People are falling around us in 2022. He's all around us. And don't you think for one minute he's not coming for you. He's coming for the church. Now, we know the prophecies concerning what God has planned for the church, but he's looking for you. And it's time for us to man the walls. It's time for us to get aggressive. It's time to look through the window of truth, not the windows of the past, of my past life of my past failures, of my past weaknesses. It's time for me to look through the window of faith and trust and hope and deliverance and power because when I look through that window, it drives away the shadows and, uh, and the anticipation of failure. Be strong and of good courage. Oh, by the way, I didn't read this last, part. I shouldn't skip this. What happened? It's like reading a book and missing the last chapter. Okay, I, I, I have to read it. Otherwise, you won't, you'll miss it. It says, because you rage against me and because your insolence has reached my ears, he's speaking, he's speaking to Assyria. This is the prophecy that's given to Hezekiah as well. I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will make you return by the way you came. This will be the sign for you, Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself. In the second year, what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Once more, a remnant of the kingdom of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. I'm going to restore all these things that you're, you think you've lost. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of mine Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says against concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city. Life springs, this is for you. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this church. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this church. I will defend this city. And I will save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That night, Verse 35, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, they were all dead bodies. I'm speaking to some of you tonight. I'm speaking to myself or this morning. Keep your eyes on Jesus. When you look full in his wonderful face, remember the song? The, sing, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Would you stand? There was a song written years ago, I don't remember the title, but the words were this. How do I say thanks for all the things that He's done for me? Things so undeserved, and yet He gave to prove His love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am, all that I ever hope to be, I owe it all to Thee. I open this altar. I encourage you to come. Bring the Windex. Wipe that window you haven't been looking out of for a while. Stop looking backwards. Look into the face of Christ. And all these things of the world that surround us, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Praise
2: God.